Hey team, welcome to the off-season. The off-season is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. I absolutely loved this episode. I was so fortunate that Dr. Fergus Connolly uh, took some time to sit down with me and chat. Uh, he is one of the world's leading experts in team sport and human performance. He's written books, he's worked with massive organizations, um, and my thing that I like the most about him is that he cares so much about the individual athlete um, and focusing on their needs and their development. So definitely check this episode out. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hey Fergus, welcome to the off season. <laughs> this is a this is a crazy off season in so many ways, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's insane! This world is uh, so wild. I just keep uh, learning new things every day. I feel. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's always um, it's humbling and it's an honor. Like when you're asked to come and speak, because it you know the idea is that maybe somebody wants to hear your opinion and. Uh, there's, there, there will come a day when maybe people don't want to listen to you and then then you'll appreciate it. So thank you for asking me. Oh, no, it's it's my pleasure for sure. And and I've been following you for a while now and not to like fangirl too much, but I, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, what you preach about and what you speak about. And um, I think you're, you know, something really special for athletes. And, and I'm not sure if they're always getting that care that um, they need. So I'm really stoked to have you on and start uh, picking your brain a little Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So why don't you uh, give our listeners kind of like a quick intro of all of the amazing things that you've done, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of teams that you've worked with and stuff. And I think like the progression that you've made from, you know, your early days of, of doing like woodworking and then into, um, you know, computer science and all that sort of stuff is, is super random and cool to me. So do you want to break that down for people a little bit? Yeah, I joke that the only thing I'm actually really qualified to do is to fix tables and chairs. Um, so my father was a woodworker and a construction studies teacher, and I didn't really know. I, I don't know if it's quite the same in most places, but when you get to like 14, 15, 16 in Ireland at high school, you kind of have to decide what the last, what you're going to study for the last two or three years of high school before, so that then you can go on to university. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. My father was a wonderful man. We had a wonderful upbringing. And I thought, well, this isn't a bad profession. And having been around him, I had a little bit of a gift for it. So that's why I started doing so. I went to university, but I, was all, I always loved sport. But I didn't think I could ever make a living at it. Um, did woodwork, construction studies, teaching. Um, stayed on, did a master's in manufacturing, did a PhD in computer optimization. Because I, I was quite young and... Um, but I just, it also, this is the truth. It allowed me stay at university, which was kind of a secure, a security. I knew what I was doing the year after and whatever. Um, and I could study and read about sport. And then during vacation time, when I wasn't working, I could, you know, travel to England or 
you know, travel to Europe and meet a coach and learn something from them, which was kind of my hobby. And yeah, that's what I, that's what I did. I didn't have any responsibilities, so I could do that. I'd save whatever money I had. And then, um, and then I, as I was teaching for a few years, uh, and I was still doing the same thing and I ended up getting offered a job with a soccer team, which just happened to be a premier league soccer team. They had some changes. They had a vacancy. I started there. Uh, worked then for Welsh rugby team. Um, then I was consulting for a number of soccer teams and then consulting for teams in the States. So like NFL, NBA teams were just starting to find out about sports science and we're trying to look at something other than just, you know, lifting weights. And um, I was an American citizen. My parents got married in New York in the 70s. And uh, so I always had American passports. So it was easy for me to travel here to work. And then I ended up getting offered a job at the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers. Worked there for almost two years and then went with uh, Jim Harbaugh to Michigan. Was there for almost three years, two and a half years. And um, yeah, uh, and now, yeah, I'm just consulting. I'm doing more work in, in the corporate space now, but still with NFL, NBA teams and NHL teams as well. So I'm learning a little bit about hockey, which I actually know, know very little about. But. Oh, that's our favorite sport out here for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, I'm, learning, I'm learning a lot more. I met Ty Domi years ago. That's my only claim to fame about hockey. I was going... So, um, but of all the guys to meet, <laughs> exactly such a really, really softly spoken, nice guy. And then, you know, then of course you go on YouTube to watch and see, Hey, th- who's this Tai Domi guy? And you're going, Oh, okay. Um, but it's just, but uh, ice hockey players are, um, yeah, they're different on the ice and off the ice. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's completely <laughs> different, like 180 on and off. And the more I get to hang out with them, more, the more, I don't know, growing up and stuff, you always see them as like jocks, but they're really like passionate about their health and like learning more. And um, the transition out of sport is obviously super interesting for every athlete, but uh, I've just been closer to hockey players. So it's, it's kind of cool to see um, that other side of them for sure. I'm a huge fan that you're kind of all over the place with what you do. Um, when I started, I did commerce and then I moved into dietetics and then I moved into naturopathic medicine. So I think it's, um, I don't know how people know what they want to do when they're, you know, 18, 19 years old. So um, I heard you speak once of how generalization is pretty key too. Do you want to kind of say anything about that? Yeah, I think um, that's really interesting. Like, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think I, I love being around people who are interested because they're generally the most interesting. Um, and the difference is that like you could sit beside somebody at dinner, like at a random event and they do something, they do a, a really, really interesting job, like fascinating job. Um, but after 30 minutes, because they're not interested in other things, that's conversation comes to an end, but you could meet somebody else like who does something that maybe doesn't sound that, that interesting but they themselves are interested in so many other things. And that conversation then just takes on a life of its own. And it's interesting, like, I mean, you, you speak about commerce, like, I mean, that's quite an analytical, structured, logical way of thinking. And yet your work now is very much on in dealing with people, which is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I think that having those kinds of combinations, I think uh, is really important because it makes, it allows you to think uh, look at problems from a variety of angles 
and I think we're all just really, really we're problem solvers at the end of the day. You know, today we'll get up and solve a whole myriad of problems and your ability to solve those problems. There's lots of different factors, but, you know, some require analytical thinking, some require people skills, soft skills. Um, but I really think that today, I think that the education system maybe has gone a little bit too far. I think that we get into this one line, the specialization, and in order to qualify and graduate, it's rogue learning. There's not a lot of trial and error. There's not a, not a lot of teaching people how to continue to experiment when they graduate. Like it's what can you remember and recall is going to give you your A, B, or C. So we don't teach critical thinking. We don't teach failure. We don't teach the ability to be resilient and overcome failure and screw-ups. Um, that's one of the things that's missing, I think, today. Yeah, I agree totally. And I think, um, you know, it's always looked upon to have these you know, really expensive pieces of paper from different universities and stuff like that. But some of the smartest people I know never went to university and have the best stories and have exactly like you said, this mind to work through problems instead of just be able to regurgitate what they read on a piece of paper before, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm going to say something now that's going to sound really controversial, but, um, and every time, every time you say that, the person interviewing you is going, yes, finally somebody's going to say something, but if I, <laughs> no, but like, I'm not sure I would ever employ a PhD anymore, not a modern PhD, because um, I don't know how long it takes now to you know, get a PhD, but in many cases, that person's probably incredibly bright, very intelligent, knows one particular thing really, really well. But that has come at the expense of being around uh, people and in uncomfortable situations, learning about soft skills, being screwing up, um, failing in public, humiliating themselves, like in just in small situations. And those skills are often far more valuable than the benefit of, you know, three or four years of really detailed statistical analysis or whatever other skill set they've developed. So it's that trade-off. Like, I mean, if you were to, uh, if you were to say to me, I've got somebody who's, who's got a degree, but's got great people skills, great personality, wants to keep learning, or somebody, maybe they've got a master's, but they're, um, it's in their degree and master's are in separate, separate areas, those combinations, you know, that, that is very appealing to me as opposed to maybe somebody who's just been very specialized. Yeah. And it probably applies to sport as well, right? Like a, a more well-rounded athlete is, is way more beneficial to a coach, even an athlete with, you know, people skills and is human would be way more uh, beneficial to a coach and, and to a team probably too. Oh yeah. That's a great point. Like, so when when you look at an athlete's career, and this is something that I probably should have been more aware of earlier on, but it's in the last few years of really, you know, when you come to university, um, maybe if that's your pathway uh, or in an academy, developing the people skills, the, the ability to get on with people, to learn, to empathize with other people, doesn't directly affect how you play on the field, but it does affect um, your ability to learn or people to come forward, people to support you. That's what lengthens your career over time. And it's, that's what I refer to as, you know, this, the soft skills. So you can, you could be the world's best hockey player. Um, but if you don't have developed some level of soft skills, um, you know, teamwork, leadership, empathy, uh, conflict resolution, those things, 
one of those is going to trip up your career, you know, or, or a few of them are. They're going to slow it up, your development, your ability to go with your teammates, things like that, or even the ability to build a relationship with your teammates so that when you do start to struggle, one of them puts an arm around you. Though, like, it's not fully appreciated, or I haven't even fully appreciated it until really only the last few few years. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I, I would agree too. And I think it's interesting too. So when you kind of commented on the, the PhD student, I think there is some sort of drive there, but maybe the adversity and every, and I know it's hard to get through the program and it's difficult to, you know, give the professor exactly what they want, but I think, you know, trying new things and putting yourself out of your comfort zone versus something you're really good at really builds adaptation, right? And makes you kind of a stronger person. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, I think really the lesson is if you're doing a PhD, um, really recognize what other skill sets that the traditional PhD program is not going to give you that will be invaluable or that will perhaps uh, um, separate you from everybody else. Um, I think that's the, that's the outcome or that's the lesson. Um, because I've seen, like, uh, sometimes you get volunteer strength coaches or strength coaches maybe who come and want to work with you um and you know on paper they're not they don't have all of the the qualifications but when you get them in the room like they bring a genuine authentic energy and you just go wow that they've got a lot they're they're i've got a lot to offer they're maybe a little rough around the edges or there's a few things needed but they've got something that somebody else maybe far more qualified doesn't have and it so it's getting that that trade-off i think is important as a as a coach um, but equally as not equally as an athlete, you know, you gotta have, you gotta be able to get on with people. Yeah, and that drive to learn to like, even I had listened early in your career, like you'd sit at practices and and talk to different teams and coaches, and I loved the fact that your email reply was like, "Give me forty eight hours," and I and I have that same headspace for a lot of things too. Like, just give me some time, and I'll figure out the answer. I might not know it right away, and I feel like um, even for athletes, even for you know people trying to make it in the world, that's just such an invaluable skill to have. Um, and for athletes, like, do you feel kind of with, uh, you've probably seen the progression of a lot of athletes. Do you see um, a change in kind of dedication or passion um, over time for sports? Like I know growing up, like Sydney was, Sydney Crosby was like in his garage a hundred percent of the time, you know, shooting pucks at a dryer. And I know there's individual stories like that, but do you see any change like on a decline for passion for the sport versus like being famous or something like that? Uh, I that's a yeah I think that's a challenge now I think I think and I, I'm only 42 don't be trying to make me have to be that old but um but yeah even in that period of time I think I have seen maybe uh but it, it was different as well because I think universally I coached some players who had played in the semi-pro era like even in rugby so these guys knew the risk of not making it in their sport. And so they really valued whatever money or career they were getting in sport, you know, from sport. Um, now, um, kids and athletes coming through only know of sport as a professional way of, like sport now is entertainment. It's an entertainment business. It's not, a, it's not based around performance. And I remember even some kids that coached at college, like, I mean, and it saddened me. I, you know, I saw them in interviews talking about their brand, and I'm going, man, you've 
if you haven't played a day of pro football and you talk about your brand and going, it, it's just, it, but that's what it, that's what it's become. You you have a brand and it's an entertainment brand. Part of it's performance, but yeah, it's, it's a brand. Um, that's interesting. Whereas if you are successful, you will always have a brand, but some people choose to try and market the brand first. Um, so it just depends what's important to you. Um, uh, but yeah, I think there are a lot of, old school hockey players would, um, yeah, would find the current game interesting. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like speed has obviously changed in skill um, and potential and like metrics to measure and all that sort of stuff, which is really cool. Um, but that natural born talent versus like grinding it out is, is always an interesting concept to talk about, hey? That's, yeah, that's a great question because, um, and, and that's where, look, there are some players who, I guarantee you speak to Sidney Crosby and people like that. They'll say, look, you know, I wasn't the best in the, you know, in the local area. I wasn't the best. Like, I mean, I don't think anybody makes it without having to grind at some stage. And then we look back at them and we go, they were naturally talented. These guys are probably ram that, you know, hockey stick down your throat. If you told them they had natural talent, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's any such thing as that. Um, like yes you can have abilities and attributes but you still got to develop them um and so yeah like but this is just me personally and it's just the way i was brought up i just there's some people i've been around who you know they're the guys who are in first thing in the morning they're the guys who do all the extra work when nobody's around you see them and a few others see them but it's those guys are the ones that i like i you know those are the ones I gravitate towards because you see them doing everything possible, wanting to be the best, and you want you want to help them because they're being because they're 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 authentic. They're doing it when nobody else sees them, and you want to see them succeed. Yeah, definitely. Those are the guys that kind of why I do what I do for the most part, and and not even high level athletes, but like the weekend warriors and yes, are so passionate about change, right? Yeah, it's, it, they're committed and uh, they're just they're. They're taking a, um, it's it's a risk, but I, I don't mean risk like in a great way. But I mean that they're they're doing something. They're putting themselves out there. They're trying to get better, and you know they're not they're taking ownership of the situation. So they're not bitching and moaning about it. And yeah, you you gotta admire those people. Yeah, I do. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I've heard you speak many times about the health of an athlete, and I obviously couldn't agree more that's what I do for a living um but like I feel like that gets lost quite often in um higher level athletics or I know there's all these facilities and tools for these athletes but like the actual mental health and lifestyle and um the core of like sleep nutrition all that sort of stuff is 100% what I'm passionate about um do you feel like that's being lost in the big leagues a little bit or do you feel like there's an overemphasis or what are you kind of seeing I think there has been I think there's a little bit of a change coming back I think but I think that even if you take medicine even just as a whole so if you take medicine and performance I think medicine is very much now emergency medicine and reactionary medicine uh, I think performance has become it, um, or probably is to some degree more on the um, the icing on the cake. So more like um, velocity-based training, force platforms and all of the, the snazzy stuff. So in both those cases, we've kind of started to focus more on 
rather than being preventative and taking care of the core. And in both those cases, it's health. And it's not even health in as much as it's lifestyle habits. Because having, you know, generally good lifestyle habits are, you know, I'm not saying perfect, but if you've got basic habits, if the basic habits are good, your body becomes, um, in essence, we talk about brain, brain plasticity, but just performance plasticity. The body can tolerate assaults from whatever they might be. So even if you take this current situation now, um, you know, people, you know, sadly, some people are dying, but those people who are fundamentally healthier have a far greater chance of um, recovering from any illness. But what's the essence of health? Everybody is sick to some degree, but it's how healthy are you? And that's going to be based on your sleeping habits, your, your food, your, you know, your basic nutrition. Forget about you know, supplements or anything else. Like, is your core, are your core lifestyle habits, you know, pretty good on a scale of one to 10? Are you hitting like eight in most of them? I'm not looking for an angel or for anybody perfect. I'm just looking, you just want to get those core things. So actually a football coach, head coach called me yesterday and we were just talking and, you know, talking about that particular thing. And I was saying that the at the core is creating a culture within the organization that focuses on, health uh, and wellness so that then you can build these other things on top of it but you got to start with that first yeah for sure and i think i agree 100 percent with like supplementation and you know all the cool stuff that's coming down the line it's i mean i could inject your knee with platelet-rich plasma but like if you eat like shit it's gonna cause it's you'll be too inflamed and it's not gonna work you know or if you're not taking care of the injury after after it happens like what's the point of you know spending money on this really fancy stuff to try to fix it you know yeah and i used to joke with um with surgeons orthopedic surgeons my job is to put you out of business like you I mean if if the coaches if you're preparing athletes well they shouldn't need surgery you know they shouldn't need like that Obviously, that's an idealistic goal, but I would like set scary goals and, and your goal should be not of any soft tissue injuries, you know, it should be not of any ACL injuries. It should be, um, and if somebody does get a soft tissue injury, they recover faster than, but, but again, you're not going to have those things if you don't have, you know, core lifestyle habits or core, yeah, core, just basic good habits. And that's, I think, um, but you, you, you're, you're dead right. I think people overlook it. They don't see the value of it because it's not sexy. It's not cool. Um, they're more interested in having the icing on the cake rather than you know, baking the proper cake initially. Yeah, you probably see that quite consistently. And I know people will come in with debilitating headaches. And my recommendation is to drink more water, you know, or get some electrolytes into you and stretch every now and then. And I mean, they're paying to come see you. So you feel a little bit bad that that's the recommendation. But I'm, if you're not doing it, it has to be done, right? There's no pill that's going to fix it aside from maybe, you know, ibuprofen or, or Tylenol. But like, there's some detriments to that too, right? Yeah, like, and um, even um, was it yesterday, no, two days ago, like, you I mean, I... I had to shut everything down. I just went to bed early because, you know, I had not, I'd been just working. I'd been doing too much work and I just hadn't, um, yeah, I've been uh, looking after myself. And, you know, a few years ago, it happened the same thing to me. Like, I mean, I just I completely burned out and you learn, like, I mean, you learn that you have to look after yourself and, um, you know, you're not bulletproof. And I think particularly for coaches, people who are looking after others, sometimes 
we like I mean we end up um, I talk about uh, the phrase you know um, sometimes the cobbler's children have the worst shoes sometimes we look after everybody else but we don't forget to actually look after ourselves yeah that is so true I feel like moms fall into that category quite often as well absolutely yeah from what I see in office quite often and like this this mentality that we have of bigger stronger faster always is kind of devastating us and I think that's why you know COVID or or this isolation is such a massive detriment or shock to people because they're their forced productivity is slowed down, right? And then to try to figure out who you are without being productive or just being okay with who you are as a person without having to finish like this crazy to-do list every day is is debilitating for some people, right? Yeah, I think it's going to affect many people in many different ways. I think, you know, for the first time, people are at home with the scariest person they could be themselves. You know, and so there are a lot of people like who get up in the morning and who go straight to work and they're surrounded by so many different people, but they don't necessarily see a reflection of themselves. Now, when they're, you know, when they have that quiet time, when they're alone, you know, things start to settle and the dust starts to settle. So um, I think some people are, you know, it's going to give them time to reflect, uh, time to, it gives people a different perspective now as well, because some people do get a sense of worth from their job um, or from the work that they do or get approval or, um, you know, satisfaction from how others respond to what they do. If you, and that's a measure of their self-esteem where they measure based on that, um, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to struggle with not getting that at this point in time, and particularly four weeks in. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a challenge for a lot of people, but I think there's a lot of good can come from it. There's a lot of opportunity can come from it if you choose to look at it like that. Yeah. It's that headspace shift and there's so much opportunity for growth and change and for all these athletes that have been, you know, the Olympics have been taken away or postponed for a while. And I couldn't imagine training for, you know, the biggest opportunity of your life and then it being postponed, it would be, you'd have to have the best headspace shift to say like, Hey, I get more time to practice, you know, which probably will take a couple of weeks to get around to that. But, um, yeah. And you've, and you've got, sorry, you've got some like who are going, thank God it's been delayed because my training is not going good. Then you've got others who are going, darn, I was right, right on track. But either way, you know, um, yeah, it's like, I mean, there's the only way to look at it is thank God I've got more time now I can prepare. Like, and that's the thing about, this situation like it's really it's not about what the situation is it's how you perceive it to be you know it's all about how you perceive it to be sorry i interrupted you no no that's great and uh i i mean perceived stress by the body is the exact same physiological response as an actual stressor right so i think um it has to be a headspace shift even if it's forced for the first few weeks just continually re-educate yourself each day and as things start to go you know spiraling negatively you just have to flip the script and and I know it's easy for like us to sit here and say that but it's a it's a daily practice even I'm living kind of my best life and there's still downtimes there's still uh things that you know you financially struggle with and it's not easy but it's it's just kind of making that decision to keep moving forward hey well listen this is this is a really really important point um 
yeah, like, I mean, you've got, you've got a choice. You can quit, you can just quit, or you can decide to look at it from a negative perspective and to um, worry about all of the, you know, the, the negative consequences. And that's going to end up just being a spiral where you're just going to go down and you end up, or you can choose to go, okay, I'm going to take the best possible conclusion from this and I'm going to use it and I'm going to move forward. I'll be honest with you, that's the only one you've got. Like if you choose to start thinking about all the negative things, dwelling on them and, um, you know, playing them over in your head, you're just going to spiral out of control and it's just going to become misery. So you don't, you don't, the only choice is to go, you know what, I'm going to look at this in the best possible, possible light. I'm going to find the opportunity and I'm just going to go after it. And yes, I'm going to have ups and downs, but for the most part, I'm going to stay away from the negative thoughts. I'm just going to go after this in a positive sense. Um, and th- like, I mean, it doesn't actually make any difference which way you look at it. Whatever way you decide to view it, that's, um, that's going to determine whether you're happy or sad. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of people who um, do get caught up. And, and we all do. Like, I mean, out of the, like, um, was it yesterday? I was tired. I was moaning and swinging and I was just going and I, I just had to stop myself and go for a walk get some fresh air reframe and go look um you know you've got three weeks or three and a half weeks of great work done you just need to get some sleep you're working too hard get some sleep and wake up and uh you have this amazing podcast to do Friday morning so really that that's going to cheer you up and set you for the day but no you do like people have to you've got a choice like you do have a choice um and sometimes people just end up spinning the negative stuff around in their head too much. Yeah. And you can get lost in that really quick. And one really big positive that I see from all of this for a lot of people is maybe not you, you've been working pretty hard lately, but almost like <laughs> that forced slowdown. Um, and for athletes too, like, I don't know if you see it quite often, but one of the biggest things that I see in practice is under recovery. And I think a lot of people call it overtraining, but my belief system is that like, our bodies are capable of the most amazing things. Like if we look at, you know, high level athletics and marathons and triathletes and Ironmans like that, it's unbelievable what we're putting the body through. Right. So if we could kind of feed the body, let it sleep and allow all the recovery processes to happen, then theoretically we're capable of anything. Um, But can you kind of speak to that and what you see at higher levels for burnout, I guess we would call it? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there are a lot of athletes who, a lot of coaches as well, who are going, oh, no, I've got time off. And, I, you know, I'm secretly going, this good. And it's actually going to be a good thing for a lot of athletes. And I, I think tr- the true understanding of, um, so understanding the difference between freshness and, and fatigue, or fitness and freshness, I think is important. I think there are a lot of athletes maybe who are not fresh, but are very fit. And so they confuse the two or coaches. So you see somebody who's tired, but they're actually, it's just a short-term fatigue. They're actually very fit, like they're lean and whatever. But so it's just understanding that difference. Um, so, and it, you know, after, if you, if most elite athletes spent two weeks sitting at home doing nothing, they'd still be fine. Um, after, you know, a little bit of a warm up in a day or two, they'd be ready to go again. So I, I don't think this is a bad thing. I think as well, what you'll find are the organizations that have developed the best relationships with their athletes, have empowered them, um, educated them, 
um, so that they can um, have developed a level of trust. Those athletes and those organizations, they'll be okay. They'll be able to reach out, give them a little bit of guidance, check in, and those guys will be doing something anyway. But if you've kind of, if you've been mistrusting of your players, if you haven't empowered them to some degree, you haven't educated them some basic ways, then those guys are going to look at this as a break and just, you know, yeah. So it a lot will depend on what your relationship has been with your athletes to date. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I think, um, you know, taking care of those athletes and understanding their lifestyles and understanding their family situations and building that rapport is, is so huge. And even like people's situations right now, I know a lot of, um, you know, patients are calling in and saying like, I'm a full-time caregiver right now. I'm also teaching school and I am trying to still do my job and it's just getting a little bit crazy. So I would say just kind of have lenience on yourself and make like possible to-do lists too. I often see yeah. people trying to get insane amount of things done in the day and you're like, just write down what you have and uh, it's impossible, you know? Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a really, really important point. Like, I mean, I think, and you, you can't, you can only compare yourself to yourself. Like, you I mean, so sometimes Instagram is one of the worst things possible where people are posting videos and photos of, you know, workouts that and whatever and everything they're doing. And, and you're just sitting there, you're just sitting there hand, hand me another bag of Doritos kind of thing. Like, you I mean, they just get more depressed going, I can't do this. I can. Listen, you, you can only, your best competitor is the best version of yourself. Like do your best. Um, if you've got kids to look after, they, they'll always come first, look after yourself. Um, and then if you, you know, do whatever else you can do. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of, I tell you one thing, teachers are going to get a pay raise when this all comes back because with the amount of homeschooling that's going on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's going to be a challenge, but it's, but it is, it's, it is an opportunity. Like, look, it's an opportunity for, I think kids to grow up. Like, you mean, your eldest can help you with some of, you know, um, the other kids in your house, if you have kids and, uh, build relationships people are going to have to become more resilient but there will be a lot of benefits from this in the long run yeah I love that you say the resiliency piece because you know I don't have children so I don't even I'm not even allowed to have an opinion on this kind of but me either so I don't I, I don't so I sure neither of us should be talking about it really and we, I have no concept of how difficult it is but I, I also think like you know, generationally, we're getting a little soft too. So I think like making your own lunch is, is not a hard task to do. Making your bed, doing your laundry, like we have the coolest technology now. It's not, you just press a button, right? And it's not that hard to do. So I think, you know, if the opportunity is there to push kids to do some more stuff and help mom out or help dad out, then it, I think that's really important. For um, athletes, what would you be, what would you tell them to do in this time? Like if you could give them a few tips of, what to focus on and and not to get too far out of the game or into their own heads what would you suggest um so it depends on like so people who athletes or coaches even who are um a type driven driven or who think a lot like the most important thing for those types of people is to keep your mind busy um two things one is Decide when you're going to stop work so that you take time off. But the second thing is fill that time that you, are, that you have decided you're going to work, fill it. And because this period is extended, you, can't, you have the opportunity to go a little bit more outside your box and go, okay, what are the, the areas that I could learn most 
from. So it might be, you know, creating habits, just like we've spoken about it. That would be a really helpful thing for a coach to learn about. For an athlete, it might be, you know what, my flexibility is not a, never quite been good. I can spend a little bit of time really developing and working on that. So when I come back, I can express more strength and power. But also there's, you know, the one advantage is the amount of technology you have is like, who's your ideal player? Go and study them. Or who's your idea? Who's the one opponent you really want to like, go and study them. There's so much film out there. Watch, study, like create, make that your mission that by the time you come back, like set a goal that by the time you come back, you will be a better player. And you can do that. There's always a way, you know, there's always a way to get better. Like even if, you know, one of the things, go learn how to cook. You're sitting at home, you know, go study nutrition. If you're an athlete, you're a young athlete, and you want to have a long career, go study nutrition. You know, there's plenty of information there. Be critical about who you learn from and who you don't. Study, learn. Um, yeah, like, I mean, with players, I would always break it down. I would treat this as a long uh, uh, injury cycle. I would take, this is a, it could probably be another, what, six, eight weeks, possibly, who knows, of an injury window. So I would look at it as I've got a, had a really bad hamstring injury. Uh, what can I do? What can I not do? And how can I develop tactically? Like, how much game film can I watch? What skills technically can I work on in whatever limited environment? Physically, what can I do? And psychologically, what can I do? Like, do I struggle um, to manage emotion? Like, what? who can I call? Who can I learn from? Who can I pick up the phone? Who's the expert? Or what online courses or online videos or books can I download to my Kindle and read? But, um, yeah, there's plenty you can do. Yeah, definitely. And there's, I, I've heard you speak before on athletes, like we all have our skill set and then there's always things to improve on. And I think really getting to know yourself as an athlete, like this might be a wicked time to start looking at those things. Like what, what does the team need? What do coaches need from me? Like where are we missing the gaps or even getting on zoom calls with, um, you know, your teammates and mm -hmm. saying like, okay, guys, like what, what do we need to work on? Where do we see issues and kind of continuing that uh, camaraderie between everyone too. Hey. Yeah, like I love the idea with, particularly with younger coach, younger players is giving them like basically a project. Like, I mean, if Kobe or Jordan or Scotty Pippen or whoever was your prototype athlete, that was your hero, that was your goal. Although those guys are a little bit old, I guess. But like, if it was one of those, like if you're a young, young player, like by the time this is over, you should know everything about them. You know what I mean? That you should have studied them, like, like, know and so that that's who you want to imitate learn from you know well then let's do it you've got the time now you know um yeah i think it's a, a, it there is opportunity here there's opportunity be very clear what it is and just get get to it but the 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 one danger is the one thing that i would caution people is that when you're stuck at home um and for long periods, you know, you do have to talk to other people. You have to make an effort because being stuck on your own or with a few people for a long period of time, like certainly by the third, fourth week, it can be draining. So make an effort to, you know, do stuff like this. Um, talk to people, um, you know, cause yeah, it can weigh on you. Yeah. And I, I hope, um, 
golf season does come about this year. So just keep working on trick shots around your house. Too. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of those, which I've been enjoying for sure. Um, for technology. So I'm getting a lot of messages for people's uh, Whoop app. And mm. do you know that one? Um, and Aura Ring and, and girls are saying like their periods are starting to go off and the guys are saying their sleep is off and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think metrics are awesome and cool and stuff coming down the line is probably just going to get even more interesting. But how much weight do you put on technology for athletic performance? So to me, technology is like... Uh... It's like driving your car to work. If you've driven the same way for five years, you'll get into your car, you look at the windscreen, and you travel that journey without looking at your dashboard at all. Because as you drive, you know the speed by the, the trees or the signposts that go past, just how quickly they go past the windscreen, you have an idea how fast you're going. But now let's say you have to go a different route on a longer journey you'd use your GPS and you'd use your speedometer and whatever because this is new and you just want a little bit more feedback. That's the way that I look at technology. I think it can, can be useful, um, but it has yet to uh, replace your, your common sense and your ability with when you're most in tune with yourself. And that's why sometimes people will drive home and not even remember driving home. You know, they've been on autopilot. So, I wouldn't, it can be very helpful to provide that feedback loop. So again, um, using that same analogy, if there's a new journey that you have to learn, at the start, you'll watch the speedometer to see how fast you go. And then eventually after a few weeks, you'll be driving that route without looking at the speedometer because you know what appears to be the right speed. And so uh, whoop or, or, or like, I mean, based on heart rate variability, I think heart rate variability is probably one of the most uh, probably best all around global metrics for the assessment of our physiology or heart rate variability. Um, you know, there is accuracy and precision questions around some of the technologies, but just as an overall metric, I think they're a useful guide. And I think it, make it makes it interesting. And I think it can help draw attention to them. But then some people, and I would be probably one of these people who, Perhaps if you're overly detailed and overly obsessive, you'd get worried if it was 10 or 15 minutes less sleep than the night before and stuff like that. So it always depends on the person. But um, yeah, it does not surprise me that people's sleep is all over the place, that uh, yeah, that the cycles are thrown out of whack. <laughs> it must be, yeah, it's uh, an interesting time. Yeah, for sure. And I, I kind of agree with the technology piece. And I like that analogy because at the end of the day, like, you know your car drive best essentially or you know your body best so even if metrics are coming up that don't fully align um you know that's something to go you know introspective about a little bit and then also if things are way off maybe it's a wake-up call because there is that kind of fitness versus fatigue that you were talking about too like do we truly understand um where our body's at so i think they're they are a beneficial tool in some respects and then obviously as you said that obsessiveness about it is probably the only issue or potential downfall? Yeah, the other thing is to, so technology is binary. In other words, uh, when it's taking signals, it's either, you know, black or white. Mm -hmm. 
But the body is such a complex dynamic system that it operates on cycles and on it's multifaceted, it's multiphasic. So when you're measuring, so you're converting this really complex thing into like a binary metric. And so you lose something, no matter how good the technology is, you still lose something in that measurement. And so with heart rate variability, as an example, um, it's, it's giving you a measure at a moment in time, but how does that change? Why is it high? Like, I mean, it could be, you could have no variability and you could be stressed, but why? It's, it's always, it's only a starting point, I, I think, uh, whether it's whoop or, or whatever it is. It's a starting point and having somebody who understands both the physiology and the metric and what the metric's actually measuring can really help you decipher that. I think that's, I think there's a lot of potential that's still undiscovered with the technologies. But again, I, I, I describe it like, um, you know, both of us could stand in the Sistine Chapel with paintbrushes for 20 years and, you know, not produce, you know, the, the works of art of Michelangelo, you know what I mean? But you give him them and, you know, he can do it. So it's, it's again, it, a lot of it's in the skill of the person interpreting the data too. Yeah, that's so key. And I think um, even bringing up questions to athletes, so if it's a poor sleep, well, like, what did you have before bed? And, and all the things that could go into that um, allow for change. And I think um, you're right. Like, I, I'm so stoked to see what's coming down the line for it. Is it going to be better? Who knows? Like, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And, and having somebody interpret the data is huge because you can get so in your own head with it. And even for like, female athletes, I do a lot with female athletes, health and periods and all that sort of stuff. And it's exactly like you were mentioning, there's no end. So I'm reading things that says like estrogen does this or progesterone does this, but it's like, as this beautiful ebb and flow of estrogen and, and progesterone start to take its dive a little bit. So there's no like, it does this. It's like insulin's coming in and cortisol is doing this other thing. And so it's really difficult. I feel when people ask the questions to say like, Oh, it's day seven of my cycle. Like what should I be doing training wise? And it's like, well, what happened on day six, five, four, three, two, one, you know, and it's, it's a super intricate and delicate system. And so the interpretation, as you'd said, is so key for all of this. Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of male coaches like cringe when that's brought up, like, but to me, I think, um, you know, what what a lot of um, male coaches don't realize is that um, men have variations in terms of mood, in terms of hormones and everything as well. The, like biorhythms and circadian, circadian rhythms are not actually a new thing. It's just not been studied in a lot of ways. And um, biorhythms is something that uh, has been studied for quite some time. And I, it, it's, again, I, I enjoy the expiration of these, these things because it's recognizing that there is a multi-phasic element to this. Like people talk about, the, people take the super compensation curve and they think, oh, it's just one simple curve. Well, it is, but it's, it's multifaceted to begin with because there's lots of different rates of recovery of different systems. And then it's multi-phasic, like it continues on. It's not just up and down and in a straight line. So these things help us understand more about the body and also understand that um like i've said this time and time again one of the new frontiers it's not even new but that you know psychology is unsolved physiology the impact of um you know neurophysiology so to speak or the impact of 
whether it's food, sleep, on our mood and emotions is really, really interesting in how we can positively. I, I have this talk, um, this presentation that I, and um, I provocatively titled it Sex, Drugs, Drugs and Rock and Roll. And basically it's about how hormones, um, how drugs, caffeine and um, sugar and music essentially influence psychology and mood. And it is, it's more entertaining than, or the purpose of it is to be provocative and entertaining, but to leave people with the very clear understanding that I can influence or you can influence your mood, your mental state through, you know, managing hormones through food, uh, managing the very strong chemicals we, we use on a daily basis, caffeine and sugar and, other, and lots of other ones, alcohol, um, and then even things like music and subtle things. So just being aware that we can influence our psychology through physiology and vice versa, but it's, yeah, people should be more aware, I think, of that. Yeah, and I think we know a lot of, intuitively, a lot of things, like we're always listening to pump-up jams before a workout. and Exactly. Was, yeah, super interested in the physiology behind this. I don't know if everyone nerds out as hard as I do on all of this, but sometimes it's so, maybe, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, so this is, so the example I, I gave, I, I've done this with NFL teams, like, I mean, I've stood in front of the guys and gone, look, okay, Imagine this, imagine you're driving, you're cruising down the freeway and Celine Dion's on the radio or whatever. And then, you know, I don't, um, I don't know, Drake or someone else comes on. How do you think your speedometer is going to change, you know, based without even looking at it, without even looking at your speedometer? Do you think, um, you know, with a faster song or faster beat, beat and there are four or five, actual qualities of song. Like you can actually assess a song. But anyway, um, I remember one study that looked at the ideal warm-up song based on tempo, uh, pace, or whatever the variables were. I need to find the actual paper again. But the ideal song was Eminem's Lose Yourself. It had the, the one of the best combinations. And you, that's probably played in plenty of locker rooms or get, plenty of guys have listened to it before games, guys and girls over the years. Um, but anyway, the point is that yes, music beats, but so this explores a whole other area of, um, the idea of vibration and frequency as, uh, an energy modulator or essentially as energy. Yeah. So, so a whole other space to go into. I know there. we could have a whole other combo on that for sure. There's, there's so much to it. And then like what I get down into a lot is like the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and how all of these hormones are impacting like the burnout scale. And I just read papers on like endocannabinoids and how they're impact, like that I could get nerdy really quick on all of that sort of stuff. But um, Yeah. And, the, and, and the, the other, just, just on that, the, the, the challenge that you have is, um, not only understanding and understanding all of the cycles and the knock-on effects, but then you have to come back and go, okay, what, what's my intervention? Yeah. Like that's the challenge, mm -hmm. you know, and to, to come up with a lifestyle intervention that's going to be manageable and possible. It's not, you know, understanding it's one thing, but now how do you make it work? Yeah, that is the hardest part of it. The application to all of the, maybe it's not even relevant. Like maybe we find something super interesting, but like, who cares, you know, if it's not going to change their game or change performance or do anything for the athlete, then I just wasted two hours reading that research paper, you know? Yeah, but you had fun. 
Oh, exactly. And I, I love learning and maybe down the road it'll apply to something else or I have no idea. But yeah, that's the application is key. So like even for, you know, progesterone, they say, you know, temperature goes up. So that might look like sweat rates change. So that might look like having more hydration at that time or putting a little bit of electrolytes in your water. So some applicability, but then you know, maybe the athlete's already super hydrated. So could you overload them? And I, again, and it always comes back to individualization of all of this jazz. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, and then you've got water retention. You've got intra and extracellular hydration. Like, the, yeah, and the, like, I mean, so, yeah. Then, my, like, yeah, where my brain starts to go is, okay, what are all the possibilities? Like, why would that happen? Like, what's the reason for that? And yeah, yeah. That's where and it gets fun. A fighter, like, where is this during weigh-ins? If so, like, we have to manipulate that. And yeah, so there's, I get really lost in all of this stuff. But again, you're so right when you say the application of it is so key. It, it doesn't matter how much I know. If it's not going to help the athlete or apply to any situation, then who cares? No, and the one thing I can be almost certain of, and these are famous last words, but the one thing you can be almost certain of, it's not the obvious answer. You know, the... The, the first thing you think of is generally well, you, you, like you learn over time, like it's not A plus B equals C. It's, oh, hang on a second. A plus B could equal F. Let me just think this through, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you gave a really great analogy one time of, um, you were talking about the who definition of uh, wellness or. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like the lack of disease and, that's not really true and you gave this analogy of like driving as fast as you can into a brick wall do you remember that one no i don't remember that one i think it was uh, some, yeah something like driving as fast as you can and a brick wall was coming and the assumption is while you were in the car driving you thought you were safe oh yeah 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 yes yeah so so basically um yeah the the well the world health organization which is now being defunded or unfunded. Let's not go into politics. But um, yeah, like um, it's not the absence of disease. In other words, just because you aren't diagnosed with cancer doesn't mean that you're healthy. And um, that's really, really important. It's kind of like, so um, when I look at athletes who have, so when I was around teams around athletes, like my question, I didn't have the answers. I was looking at them going, why is he good? Why has he played for a long time? Why is he continuing? Like, why, why, why? And what you start to realize are that there are some common trends here. Like the guys who end up playing the longest may not be uh, all a la Tom Brady with, you know, almond butter and whatever else, and vegan, whatever. But they do get like, you know, eight out of the 10 things right. You know, um, yeah, okay, I see him, like he, he, he has a few beers on a Friday night, but you know what, for the most part, it's pretty stable or um, they've got, a, he's got, you know, they all seem to have a relatively stable um, home life or partners or whatever it might be. And it, and it always appeared to be that of maybe 20 things, they all had to have about 15 of them. But generally, athletes who played for a long time had core lifestyle habits. Like they were generally healthy. Like they had a good sleep routine. They ate for the most part well. 
um, you know, they, they had they a had few big rocks in place. And um, some of it was because they recognized that these were important things that they had to do. So they would have learned it. Some of them just came from backgrounds and had those habits from youth. Some of them had really strong family structures that ensured that they had good food, you know, around. So, yeah, you have to, I think there are core health, uh, core things that you can't waver too much from that determine that you're generally healthier than someone else. And, uh, the four things that I kind of worked on with a lot of players were the way I look at it is you've got regeneration or what are your basic lifestyle habits? That's the first one. The next one then is recovery. Like what do you do post training? Then there is restoration, which is you can do some things that can stimulate recovery, like such as ice baths and, you know, extreme things for as, as a short stimulus and then finally you have resilience which is um more over a period of time if you are healthy and you get these small essentially assaults on the body and you recover from them you start to believe and you start your body starts to understand that it can recover that's what resilience is um resilience isn't like just a one-off injury it's you know, maybe getting a, sm a small tear, dealing with it properly and recovering from it, and maybe one or two other small things. That's what resilience is. Um, does that make sense? Or? Yeah, it sure does. And I think like it kind of, <clears throat> I, I talk about this often, like longevity versus um, optimum athletic performance. And now based on what you're saying, I, maybe my views have shift and shifted a little bit on it just because when I see longevity, I see like kind of what you're saying, like doing the best that you can, kind of living your life too, making sure all of these um, bases of health are in place um, and not like pounding your body into the ground all of the time. And then when we look at like maximum athletic performance, the assumption is that you would have to do that, you know, and all of the strain and, and wear that we put on our body to make it to the elite levels of sport probably don't always align with like longevity purposes. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree with you. I think that you can sustain it for periods of time. I think what, I think the psychology of it is very important. So some of the best athletes I've been around, like will work and work exceptionally hard, but not all the time. And they'll, they manage, they have like a good um, world view. Like you can call it spiritual model, but they've got a balance where they understand that, I need to either spend time with my family. Like so I joke sometimes with guys, you know, guys who have just had children, uh, well, the wives of the children uh, or whatever, and um, they, you know, they're going, man, I'm not getting any sleep. But I actually joke with them that, you know, in a year or two, that's actually a good thing. Because when they go home, they have to be present with kids. Like you can't not be present when you've got your kids running around. So anyway, that's part of that balance in life where yes, you work exceptionally hard for that maximum athletic performance for periods of time. But if you've got it well balanced and interspersed with time off, then that creates that, um, I guess, foundation or baseline of health. And that will permit that longevity over a period of time. But because the other thing too is, you know, when you look at it on a, the big picture, you want your athletes to be retiring, you know, in their forties or whatever with, um, 
you know, enough money to be able to live afterwards. Well, if they're being played in the professional level, in order to do that, you have to play for a long time. So it's not having a, what I call a strawberry season. Can I tell you a story about strawberries? Give her. Okay, here we go. So um, some people already know this, so they're just going to roll their eyes. But strawberries, this is a really fascinating thing about strawberries. This is the only thing people are going to remember about this. <laughs> but strawberries, if you plant strawberries like in a patch of ground, and if you plant them again in the same ground the following year, they won't grow. You have to move strawberries every year. So the term is strawberry season means that you just have a one, like you come into the league and you've one season or whatever it is. So in order not to have just a strawberry season, you have to, you really want to stay in the league as long as you can. So you have to be resilient and you have to keep adapting over a number of years. And so it's really the longer you stay in the league, that determines whether or not you can, you know, whether you have enough money in the bank, whether you can look after your family. It's not having a strawberry season, like one good season. It's how many seasons can you have in the league? That's the secret. I feel like people are going to be stoked that they know what that analogy is now. And they can <laughs> um, I, I, that's so cool that you said that. And it's really like the foundations of everything to try to keep these athletes performing at their highest, but still taking care of them for uh, as long as possible. And I think, you know, a lot of them have become commodities, like in the NCAA and stuff like that. It's more so, you know, how much the NCAA can make off of them. And so starting to see some of those changes come down the line or athletes speaking against that is, is pretty cool too. And I think having people on uh, the other side of things like yourself who are really promoting athletic health and wellness and strength and conditioning coaches, I'm starting to see like Andy O'Brien in the NHL is, is really starting to talk about, you know, overtraining and taking care of these athletes. So that excites me so much, you know? Yeah. So I think that, uh, like a few things, like, I mean, the, the college system has become like basically the athletic department's job is to raise money and to bring money in. So it's a business and athletes are part of that, like whether it's whatever. I think, I think the NHL, I think is an interesting point because I think, I think the nature of the sport, I think the nature of the athletes, the nature of the business, um, I think it can actually be a, not follow the same route as so many of the other sports and actually create a sport where where the mothers and parents of the future want their kids to actually play that sport because it's going to teach them um, lessons around resilience lessons around life yes it's going to be physical it's going to be tough and there's but those qualities are incredibly important like i mean uh, a good friend of mine uh Anthony Donscott, they've got a, a hockey school in Ohio, like I mean, but the lessons that they teach the young kids, they get nothing, they do, they've got a lot to do with, with ice hockey, but it's actually, it's lessons for life. That's, the role of sport is to, is to prepare young people for life. Like, it, the majority of people are never going to get within an ass's roar of professional sport when you know you start playing. So what's the goal of it? The goal is to teach you lessons for life. That's what, that's the purpose of it. Um, and a really, really small percentage of people go on to, you know, play in the entertainment business. Because uh, it, you know, at, at what point does sport become sport? Does it move from sport to entertainment? Uh, but yeah, I think the NHL, I think, um, has uh, a great duty to look after its most valuable asset, which are its players, yeah, first and foremost. Yeah, definitely. And they're starting to kind of um, really keep a keen eye on concussion management. And I mean, so much research uh, is being put into that too. So that's 
another thing that I find fascinating and you know a lot of players are speaking out against it as well of, of their experiences so it's always just good to learn too right yeah and also in fairness you know to you know when you talk about concussion and and that I think you know look ice hockey has had problems over the years I think as well I think looking after its players and um, you know there's no doubts certain players could have been looked after better and there's lots of different things so it's it's not a case of you know what you've done it's what are you going to do in the future to look after and create an environment that's healthy and a healthy culture for for players and so long as you know it's moving in the right direction i think i think that's important but there's more and more research you know uh, particularly around brain and brain health that shows that basic health fundamental health particularly around hydration and supporting the body on a regular basis, not just when there's a concussion, prevents any of these sub-concussive forces actually um, having a debilitating effect. Like the, the key word here is uh, cumulative load. Mm-hmm. It's the constant smaller smaller events rather than some of the big ones that uh, are the the main issues that um, that athletes will have to deal with on, down the line. Yeah, and anything on the preventative front, like I was talking to to a guy that was in the UFC and he owns his own, um, or he started his own gym and he was just saying like anything to mitigate repetitive force to the head, like if, if Buddy's tired or if he went a few rounds in, in um, sparring, then he's done. Like you don't need to take an extra hit in practice to, you know, get tough enough for the ring, right? Or the practices that the UFC Performance Institute are putting in place to make sure that the hydration protocols are so well done post cut that, you know, your brain's not at as large of a risk because it's rehydrated appropriately. So all of this stuff is so cool to me and so exciting to see that they're starting to put this into place, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had a player, he's not in the NFL. We used to cramp regularly, but, um, you know, I, I, my key metric was always on the Thursday you know, in terms of his weight and hydration, because by the time he would play at the weekend, um, if, if I knew what he was Thursday, he knew that for the previous, for the two days before that, he had to, you know, be on point with his hydration and nutrition. And then he had to keep maintain it for another two days until the game. So that, that gave me at least four days where he was taking responsibility for his own hydration, and which wasn't something he was particularly good at. So then there was only three days I had to really stay in his case. And so my point is, it's a seven-day-a-week job of lifestyle habits, hydration, um, that would that make a difference, um, you know. Yeah, and I love that you speak to, like, prevention of injury is a whole team effort. Like, the coach has to be mindful of what's going on in practice. The trainers have to be mindful of, you know, how their athletes are feeling that day. And, you know, other team members have to be wary of, you know, how hard they're pushing it in certain drills, you know. So I think that's such, like, a good message that has to be transcended throughout sport too right yeah like i mean i i use like i've used the image i've got a, an image from csi miami or whatever it is like i mean of like i mean the bodies on the ground we, we're, we all have to figure out this problem together like you, you can yes you can stand up and blame the strength coach or blame the sports coach but you can blame whoever you want but at the end of the day it's everybody's responsibility let's figure this out let's figure a way out to actually you know fix this problem um because blaming people while somebody may be at fault technically, like initially, let's let's not point the finger and let's figure out a way to solve this together because just the nature of the industry, 
so many egos involved. People are so insecure already. They feel threatened. Like pointing fingers is not going to fix it. It's not going to prevent the next one from happening. So let's sit around the table. Let's figure out how to prevent it. And we know what the we know what the challenges are. Like I mean, Christ. Like I mean, we know that if a guy like, and that's why when people come up with these metrics for predicting injury, like I kind of laugh a little bit. Like, listen, if the guy didn't or the girl didn't sleep well, has an anterior pelvic tilt, uh, maybe he's limping on one leg and has an ankle taped, um, you know, and you're going to do a lot of sprinting with no warm up. The odds of a hamstring injury are pretty high here today. Okay, like I mean, we don't need you know, really complicated technology to predict that. Uh, if you can't spot that, then you have bigger problems. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to, you know, um, the weekend courses for um, a fitness trainer or something like that. Like there's so many protective elements that go into the education of um, taking care of people and putting them through fitness routines. And I mean, I did create a program online, but with a, a pretty reputable um, exercise trainer but i think you know these week all these programs on instagram being like go home and do this and all that sort of stuff it's just kind of like ugh, a little bit nerve-wracking to, to for injury prevention but on a bigger larger scale for um you know athletes in different arenas i think that's that's huge that it's everyone's job right yeah it's funny actually you know you just made me think i wonder how many calls to the emergency room there's there have been with food poisoning because now that you've got you've got people cooking at home for the first time in their lives that's a good call like, i never thought of that like yeah that's one um not to mention then soft tissue strains and you know stuff like that but yeah food poisoning could food poisoning could be an interesting one yeah and i think yeah, it's interesting too like all of the um <clears throat> I don't know, like chiros are shut down, physios, massage therapists, and I get it, but also what a load they could take off the um, emergency room. Back pain, people will go in there for that, you know? Oh, yeah, back pain is going back, back to be a problem for, for some people. Um, but, yeah, it's... But, but, you know, on the other hand, uh, people who have... You know, you touched on it. Like, I mean, I do think, yeah, I think there's maybe a generation that maybe have gotten a little bit uh maybe haven't had to have been as resilient in recent times well you know i think a lot of people are going to be aware of their comfort zone now are going to have to figure it out so like i mean if you strain an injury you're going to have to figure out you know uh rice you're going to have to elevate it you're going to have to like you'll, you'll push on through i i don't think this is a necessarily all bad you know uh for everybody will grow for sure i i hope anyway um man i've taken up so much of your time and i'm so appreciative of it for sure i just have one last question for you if you're cool with it sure um so one piece of advice that you would give it was hard to uh, pick if i would pick trainers or coaches or anything like that but i think for for parents of young athletes might be the the biggest thing that you could i mean you could touch on anything and educate on that Mm. but i think that would be the most interesting especially for um the listeners maybe for this podcast too Wow, I think I, I've reflected quite a bit on it. I think the the role of sport is to teach your children lessons for life, and if they are ever fortunate uh, to make it to the pros, you know, um, I st- I still think having that approach is the best one for it is the is the best approach to have because. Um, those lessons of resilience, failure, how to not like even how to win, um, and how to carry yourself after you win, as much as how to learn from a loss, 
I would, that's the way I would look at sport. I would look, it's not the be end and end all. It's going to teach them an incredible amount of lessons. And I think it's important to play as many sports as possible, both team and individual. Um, and just enjoy it, yeah. Um, and don't be that parent. Don't be that parent. Lead by example, please. Don't don't be the one shouting at the, the you know, be passionate, but like, yeah, just don't be the one called shouting at the umpire or the referee. He's probably getting paid nothing to be there anyway. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's all I got. No, those just are enjoy it. Sure. Yeah, I think that's super important. And, and even that you said, like, don't be that parent. Don't push them into the ground. Don't make them hate the sport. Like, just enjoy the process for sure and, and take what you can learn from it versus, you know, trying to make something happen from it. Yeah, I think a lot of kids as well, I think we don't realize that a lot of kids put themselves under so much pressure. So you adding to it, like, it's just frustrating them. And now that's blurring, blurring them and they can't see them, you know, so what happens is they make a mistake, they realize they made a mistake and they're trying to figure out, okay, like to process that, then like somebody's shouting at them and they get distracted by that. So they never actually fit, they never process the problem solving that, you know, why did that happen? Why did I, I need to, because they're, they're worried now about somebody shouting at them, seeing the obvious, you know? Yeah, it's I, so true. If you're going to coach, tell me something that I don't know. Yeah, or educate, yeah, on the future of how to avoid the situation the next time, mm. around, you know? That's exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. This is, like, obviously a highlight for me, I hope, um, and I'm sure people would have uh, got some information from this and learned some stuff, too. So um, I probably have 8 billion other questions, but maybe for another time. Oh, I'd like that. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much.